I'm about to be drinking. Oh, okay. After this. Oh. Brunch, which isn't really brunch because it's at 4 p.m. Anyway. We are recording, Olivia. <laughs> well, the people should know. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Olivia. And we're hungover. <laughs> Woo! And uh, this time on I Quit Star Trek, we're talking about... Something that's very foreign to us. Let's preface it by saying that. Heterosexual relationships in Star Trek. (laughs) Why they don't work. So um, I'm sorry we haven't been around for three weeks. Um, If you've been wondering why, don't. It's our lives. Just leave it alone. We don't get paid (laughs) to do this. Apart from those people who Apart pay us. People Patreon, we love you guys. Um, but yeah, so we're joined by friend, beloved friends of the podcast, Penny and Chris, this week. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. And um, what are we talking about? Olivia said it was something very foreign. Uh, we're talking about why relationships in Star Trek are all uniformly terrible, with very few exceptions. And I, yeah, which... Name one heterosexual that you love. Go. Cassidy Yates. Well, add it. I mean, I was, oh, Damn it. I was going to ask, <laughs> are we talking about Star Trek or just in general? Just in general? I, I, I like my mum. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek, for sure. Um, you took the best one and I Cassidy hate you. Cassidy Yates. Um, Roman Lita. Roman Lita. Jake Sisko. I don't, yeah. I don't think you say that anyone in, in on Deep Space Nine is, is truly... Head no, of, yeah, Lita I was going to say Romanita have a queer. There's a queer essence there. Yeah. No, I'm I sure. think Romanita <laughs> fall into that collection of people you look at and go, "You're definitely gay," and then you get to know them. It's like, oh no, actually, you're just very straight. You're just a bit camp. Yeah. <laughs> they don't quite. But Jake Sisko, I'm sorry, Jake Sisko, very straight man. This is. Yeah. Mm. No, I mean. Well, maybe it's just because we saw him as a teen grow up. No, but even when he's like. <laughs> An adult, his his rom chemistry, his nog chemistry is not fruity. It's very heterosexual. Mm. Those two punch each other too much for two for, for gay people. In his compet era, you don't know. <laughs> this time, pers- anyway. Um, <laughs> Leonard McCoy. Which one? The but the first one. The second one. Uh, yeah, that's another conversation. But the Forest Kelly's whole conversation about Carl Urban's Doctor Bones. We could just do a whole episode on that, and I'd that's be very happy. <laughs> we do need the content, but um, no, I think uh, DeForest Kelly, the original series, McCoy is not, is, is very, very straight. I don't know, I kind of wonder if the, you know, the whole reason he's so tetchy all the time is because he just wants in on Spock and Kirk. No, he's he... just divorced. <laughs> he has to witness <laughs> he's that. He's just love. divorced, Penny, I think. You know, <laughs> old and divorced. Yeah, old and divorced. Old and divorced. <laughs> and from, yeah. But I think we're going to stay topical. I think I'm going to kick off with because um, Star Trek Picard season three has just started. You know, the, mm. the reunion tour. It's like watching fucking the. It's like when well, the Beatles come back. They, they, didn't, they shouldn't have. They didn't. And yet we're watching Picard season three. Anyway, I think if we're going to talk about the failure of Star Trek to write heterosexual relationships, there's no better place to start than whatever the fuck the Picard Larice thing is. Oh God! Both of us, I think we were watching it and just going, why? Stop trying to make Picard fuck. He's Hornblower in space. Hornblower doesn't fuck. Hornblower fucks against his own will. <laughs> <laughs> he's got kids. He doesn't want them, but he's got kids. Oh, dear. But, like, they keep trying to make, like, season one had it down where, like, Larice had a husband. Mm. And they were great. Larice mm. and Saban were mm. great. I liked them. They had great chemistry. They were, like... They were grumpy, and they had good friendship with Picard. Then they killed Savannah off because the actor was busy or they couldn't afford him or something. Oh, okay. I was going to say, what and, happened to that guy? They try and make Larissa Picard work. <sighs> and the interesting bit of it they try and then can't commit to is that Picard really isn't in it, into it. Mm. I mean, I think... I think the. It feels more like a care of relationship. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? You can't date your previous servant. What was that relationship? Like, how would you describe it? Housekeeper. It's dating your house. It's very pro dating your housekeeper. I mean, or juice and worcestery. I get it. You've cast all of Brady, who would have chemistry with a block of ice because she's very, very beautiful. But just don't. Just don't do it. It doesn't work. 
I mean, it does fall into this thing, which is that Picard is stuck in the um, TNG movie era view of John Luke Picard, which is action Picard in living colour. You know, he, he kisses girls and punches bad guys in the face, which is not who Picard is meant to be. Mm-hmm. Which means we're stuck in a situation where we're trying to sustain this idea of a romance of Picard. And also, he's like 80. Let him rest. He's also a die. robot. Let he doesn't die. need him. <laughs> let, let, yeah. I mean, that's where we're ending season three of Picard. It's going to end with him dying. That's my assumption. No, uh, you yeah. can't tell us. I, I haven't actually seen it, but Patrick Stewart needs to go to bed. <laughs> Every time he stands up, I get worried. <laughs> but oh, actually, now I think about it. I, you know, Lessons, the one where Picard gets a girlfriend on in TNG. Oh, and they play the music. He he. Dates his subordinate. Is that that one where he's trying to date someone on the ship? Which but it's is not like a direct subordinate. It's but it's, it's a classic like example of the KHR. It's yeah. It's it's. I mean that episode though is the only reason why I didn't get mad with Voyager for not letting Janeway have any meaningful relationships because it wasn't because she was a woman trying to be a figure of authority and that she would lose that. It was that they basically already said it doesn't work when captains try to date members of their crew and they did that in that episode. I think the Lessons lessons is one of these episodes which does a very difficult talk, does it well, in the sense that they don't get bogged down in the, unfortunately, the really, the dull and realistic side of of Picard being pulled in front of HR of the Enterprise, which is probably actually just Deanna Troy and a bureaucrat, and being told, you can't do this. I kind of feel like they Deanna the- Troy trying to tell anyone about conducting relationships in, in on a starship is just a non-starter. Mm-hmm. Like, we could do a whole episode of the terrible romantic choices of Deanna Troy alone. Yeah, it's not her <laughs> fault. She was written by a man. Oh, I mean, it's, it's like, and sometimes every- one woman. Every episode where she's having any kind of romantic interaction is is just painfully obvious that Rick Berman is working through his I want to have sex with Marina Sirtis fantasies. God. It's but, so weird. But then, like, Riker and Troy is actually a relatively healthy dynamic between the two of them, but it looks like they're going to give them trauma. I know, the I was, I'm so angry. I'm so I'm... angry. They're going to give them trauma, what, in Picard? Listen, yeah. I've seen, I'm just going to say I've seen enough to know that some of it is actually, some of the stuff actually allows them to do interesting character rating, mm. especially with with Riker, who, Riker suffers notoriously from not actually, be, not actually being given much depth, I think. There isn't actually a lot to him. He's just kind of there. He's, he's just a beard. funny little slut, and we all love him. Yeah, mm-hmm. they give Riker a bit of depth, which is great. Um, at the expense of Deanna Troy, which I guess is a tradition we want from a Picard reunion. Again? Oh. <laughs> well, at a point, we've as in the episodes I've seen, it's at our expense, but I presume that they'll find a way to... How have, we, how have they managed to Rick Berman it when Rick Berman isn't even involved? What the fuck? Fear and spirit. Oh. Anyway, um, it's probably not as bad as I'm making it sound. Um, it's fine. Anyway, the where was I on lessons? Um, lessons seems to work for me of a heterosexual relationship. This um, plot because they don't fall apart because either party is shit. They fall apart because this just this fundamentally isn't going to work because of where yeah. we are in our lives, which is very adult of a writing of a romance script. In a science fiction show, mm. you know when Star Trek's highest romantic story involved a woman getting run over by a truck. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at the lessons images. This man is wearing a deep V-neck shirt, and he's playing <laughs> a flute. He's playing the flute. She's playing the piano. They're in the tubes. Yes, it, it's high art, Olivia. He looks like Peter Pan. What the hell's going? <laughs> Good on? for him, Olivia. Good for him. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yes, you're right, because a lot of the other romantic machinations on TNG are, quite frankly, absurd. Um, and I'm, I'm going to point 
my my canons firmly at data's day which is an episode that i think shows the full cursedness of heterosexual relationships written by heterosexuals who don't actually know anything about relationships i mean the yeah let's let's get the writer's divorce records on right now yeah. i want to know everyone's full relationship history there's an interesting sort of the A plot, well, I think it's the A plot, is, you know, the, 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 the Vulcan slash Romulan spy is actually really interesting, but it gets completely lost in all of this data trying to learn about relationships and, oh, oh I just well, everything it, about it just makes me cringe. The problem is, is that from what I know, that kind of, we're having a wedding thing, they're like, we're going to do a wedding, and then half an hour later they went, oh, wait, who, who's getting married? And they went, well, we need somebody everyone's seen before. They're going to be Miles. And um, what's her name who was on MASH is great. Let's put her in the show. Oh, Rosalind Chow deserves so much better from Star Trek. She yeah, really but did. like, it's basically like everybody likes, Rosalind Chow is like, everyone's like, oh, she's great. Let's get her on. And everybody knows who Miles O'Brien is already because they've already done The Wounded. So it's like, great, we'll put them together. And then they basically just dust off a script from Seinfeld and be like, yeah, there we go. We'll use that. Because they're not really in... Because they're not really actually interested in the dynamics of Miles O'Brien and Keiko's relationship. That's just set dressing for mm. data exploring, dancing, friendships, relationships. It's just set dressing, which means it's shit. Well, literally, mm. like data, this is not how you learn about relationships. But, you know, it's just, oh, oh, just everything. But, but the whole thing is like relaying messages back and forth. I'm like, you're spending the rest of your lives with each other just fucking talk to each other it's not hard talk to each other <clears throat> what is their point of contention in this episode because keiko's having cold feet yeah oh god well that's kind of the entire I mean, relationship yeah like... <laughs> that doesn't stop in ds9 rightly so <laughs> i mean the sort of important point about all this is oh everybody's acting irrationally it's like gee i wonder what emotions and i wonder what emotions could be happening that are making people act irrationally what if it's the one beginning with L? <laughs> it's, I mean, it, what is more annoying to me about it is that it's not... Their lack of communication isn't actually serving any purpose. Mm -hmm. It's just says that data can run around and make us laugh, mm. which is not a great purpose. But also they don't think they're going to have to bring them back. Mm. But it's all it's a bunch the... of tired old stereotypes. And I'm like, it's tired mm. now. It was tired back then. It's just... Oh. Yeah, and it's, I think it's also this, it's a problem when you're writing for one and done. <clears throat> they, when they wrote that episode, they didn't expect that they'd have to chart that would be the beginning of Miles and Keiko's 20-something-year-old marriage. They thought they'd never see them again. Yeah. So they can, you can get away with doing a daft plot when you're never going to see these people again. They do. She does get to go and spend a lot of time away from him, though. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah, maybe that's why their marriage works. <laughs> I mean, I, then again, that's... Is that is the ability of the writers to be able to write a relationship where they can do that and it doesn't create massive strain good? In the sense that Miles isn't comfortable with it, but he kind of like, this is what she wants to do, okay. It does develop in a much more healthy way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't treat Miles, they don't treat, there's no, no one writes a plot where Miles is worried about Keiko being incentive. What's the word? Unfaithful? Unfaithful. No one, there's no, no one ever writes that plot. Yeah, it's more about separation about from yeah. each other and. Yeah, and how hard that is, which is. Yeah. Fine. It's not great, but I think it is interesting that if you're looking at like tired tropes with marriage in television, nobody writes a plot about Miles and Keiko being unfaithful. No. That's there true. is the weird bit where. They're trying to get oh, Kira he... into the marriage. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not, <laughs> it's not the same. But that's a, fun, that's a fun sort of tension. It's, it's, it's one of potential rather than destruction. I mean, it's a, fun of, it's a fun sort of tension, but also everybody's like, aha, this is funny. But for, all I can think for the entire episode is how unbelievably terrified of this Miles O'Brien looks for the whole thing. Okay, Miles <laughs> like, looks terrified do of life itself. <laughs> It's just another, another, another on the long list of let Miles O'Brien suffer. 
But it is Miles, a political thing. Right? You hang around with that twink on a daily basis from medical. As so... now I think about it, the only person in that trio who is actually really keen on the idea of the bigger trio is Keiko. Yeah. Even Kira isn't really keen at all. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Keiko's been running from this relationship since the beginning then. I mean, it's not like she wouldn't leave if she... I mean, it's a 24th century. She could leave if she wants to. Well, Kira's relationships were always, shall we say, challenging, I think, or people dying, or like... <sighs> or Vedic Boreal just being just, unbelievable. Just let her be gay. Let her be gay. Like, it's just so tiresome how they keep sort of pairing up. And I think Ducat mentions it at one point when he's yet again trying to get in her knickers about how she likes powerful men like you know she she's like shakar and vedic royal and then you know this the this the space cop the gelatinous <laughs> cop you know I, I hate i actually hated that relationship every time i rewatch it i'm like i do not like kira and odo together and i'm kind of glad that he buggers off he back fucked his- it up and abandoned her like a little bit um, that he is. No, but it, but that's good for her because it means that she can finally embrace her inner lesbian and or but just it's like when you found out Jay Z cheated on Beyonce. Like, how dare that be the turn of events? Yeah, how dare you leave her? <laughs> Side note: Has everybody here seen the Vedic Boral rap? I'm scared because you did just send a link to the chat. I just sent the link. Terrified. Um, if you if you're listening and you haven't heard the Vedic Baral rap, just pause and go and Google and put in Vedic Baral rap. I will insert a small clip. Fush son of Ajor, armor on the major, prophet chosen player stuff, Kardashian in danger. Hot like a bow to the Xanthi fever, voices from the temple and off the receiver. Let me take your pop and make you a believer. Vedic to the people and never a deceiver. Cause I got flowers in my garden and my heart will never harden. Step up on the spring court, guess what? You'll be smart and stirred. John just shared a musical piece that sounded like it was a collab between Kermit and Lois Griffin. <laughs> and apparently that was Baral's voice. It was the Vedic Which, Baral rap. I'm too hungover for this. Ugh. I think I'm quitting now. Yeah, I'm yeah, that's it. I'm finally like live on the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, Baral is the worst love interest Star Trek's ever written. Uh, I mean that's a packed field though. Okay. He's okay, that's what he's not worse. He's the least interesting. Yeah, I was going to say the most unifying thing between Kira's love interests are that they are boring. Okay, at least Shakar was like fought the army in the hills and then yeah, well, Chakar Demo- did get to give Kai with the middle finger one moment and then Baral just fucking died I, I, t- I tell you so I'm going to throw in my contender for the worst love interest and it is Devanoni Rao who? from the price oh. you know, the, one, oh. the one where they're, they're negotiating over the the wormhole, um, the unstable wormhole, and he's an empath, like, and he gets into a situationship with Diana. Okay, here's the he's thing: he is the worst. He is absolutely the worst, but he's also the most interesting and the best written because he is meant to be. I think he's meant to be the worst. But the thing about it is, is like watching it as well. Like I'm watching it. And the way he interacts with Diana, and I'm like, this was definitely written by men, assuming that women are going to find these things attractive, which we do not. He's just, he's so creepy. Like all of his romantic overtures. What's his like, vibe? I'm sorry, she would drop kick him through that wormhole. Yeah, it's a sort of, there's two sides to him, which is that they need him to be so attractive to Diana that he'll not whirl around Roman. And we need him to be so uncomfortable and creepy that it's obvious that he's up to something. Yeah. Like the best bit of that episode is the bit where he tries to intimidate Riker. Oh, that's brilliant. That's such a brilliant by bit. By trying of- to spite him about Deanna and make him jealous. And Riker's just like, fuck you, no. No, I, I love that scene. I, I also, I love that scene because the way he's like, nah, I'm not getting into this with you. If you can make Deanna happy, that make you know, that's mm. that's like... That's actually you know, a good. They have a good relationship because they're able to let each other be happy with other people. He trusts her to make a, it's a, like, a good choice if that's I what mean, she wants to do. That's that's his first mistake. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great scene. I mean, the 
you're right though, which is that they don't know quite how to make him get that that right sort of charm slime. It's one of those things where I'm like, please just ask any woman about this. Any woman who fancies men, please just ask one. One. They didn't have any women around them that they weren't intimidating or harassing. Yeah. So. Uh, I feel I'm just going to check the writers' room. I can see. This was written by a woman. Fondling oh, Diana's hair. Oh, oh. This was written by Hannah Louise Shearer. God damn it! Oh, <laughs> this is why we should never have let feminism win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone full circle. I'm too Berman now. <laughs> um, I mean, you can bla- here's the point: greasy paws all over it. No, Berman was not involved in the backside of this one. Oh, no. Wait, but this that episode gave us the very nice scene with um, Beverly and Diana in the little yoga studio, whatever. Oh yeah, 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 the leotard. So we won actually. Woman wrote that. Oh god. It was directed by the person who directed A Measure of a Man. Okay, okay well, I'd take that off my CV personally, but, you know, the other one. What, A Measure of a Man? No, I would keep Measure of a Man. I'd take this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he's my pick for worst love interest in Trek. Does that time Tom Paris fell in love with a shuttle count? Are we talking about Alice? Oh, yeah, I oh, think that no. counts. That weird magical shuttle. Why did that happen? I like that episode. I liked that episode, but I think she might be the worst. Oh, yeah. Traumatized. I think that's like one of the more recent Enterprise episodes I watch, and I haven't watched Voyager. Voyager. Oh, Voyager. See, oh, you see. So, so you're acknowledging the (laughs) Voyager supremacy over Enterprise because it was such a bad episode. It made you think of Enterprise rather than no. Both of them are in my unfinished category. For their separate reasons, (laughs) Enterprise does hold the has the highest consistency of terrible love interests though because they're all bad. Yeah, I can't can't talk about this because Enterprise was. I I actually did quit Star Trek. After season two of Enterprise, I was like, I'm done. Nothing you can say to bring me back. I know, like, Chris has watched it recently. So Mm. I'm I'm gonna, you have the floor (laughs) for terrible love interest. Chris, defend that. I was gonna (laughs) just give credit to Tom Paris from being set up initially as a flyboy pilot Mm. to progressing to ultimate wife guy, sort of with. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, I I would say that Tom and Balana's relationship is probably would be my shout for the best relationship in Star Trek, or at least heterosexual relationship in Star Trek. Because I it's... try, but then I remember the episode where they tried to genetically alter their baby. I know. Yeah, like, oh, actually, that's... it was just her, really. Yeah, I mean, that episode isn't it. bad because it's they have a bad like, relationship. No. Think yeah. about that episode. It's not bad because the relationship is badly written. It's bad because the setup of the conflict is yeah. stupid in the first place. And it should have... There is a way to write that episode and talk about people how people are feel about mixed being mixed and having mixed children and that kind of conversation. And they failed at that. It's not a bad episode because Tom and Bologna's relationship is badly written. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, because I think by and large, the way that they they write their relationships because the way it's it's threaded through the show, you don't get that many episodes. With the sort of necessarily focus specifically on them in a way that is, you know, drawing attention to their relationship. It's just there throughout. I mean, apart from right at the very beginning where they're on that, you know, they're on that planet and everyone's going through Ponfar, which is one of the most that blood fever. I love, I love that episode because it's terrible. But also, you know, but again, it shows the kind of development of of the Paris character, especially that. You know, he's like, I would, I, yeah, I do really, really want to bang you, but I'm not, not going now. To understand what consent <laughs> means. Um, I you can't know. tell if that's bare minimum or actually just <laughs> for Star Trek. Well, this is the thing for Star Trek. That's just like a, you know, it feels like progression for Star Trek when you, you know, they have a lot of dodgy and, and you're like, yeah, we've we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> it's. I mean, it is the problem also is that half of the bad romantic relationships are starting because of a 
situation which can only exist in a science fiction universe like your girlfriend needs to have sex right now yeah yeah, it's gonna compare to something, and I was like, really not. surprised that Star Trek revolves around making people horny for no good reason other than let's do it. That's, I that's, mean, that's, that's the, the, of that's the purest the vision code. of Gene. Penn. Right? Are you are you calling out Gene's vision? Is that what I'm happening? just saying? I'm, no, I'm I'm saying I understand the vision. I understand the vision. So yeah. I'll I'll pass that on to him. Randomly getting horny. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that 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 would be my shout for sort of the the healthiest relation, uh, uh, you know, outside yeah. of maybe you know um, Troy and Riker. But you know, Troy and Riker took a lot of twists and turns along the way, um, whereas sort of the the Paris Torres development was, you know, it, you know it it grew it started and it grew and it kept growing so, the relationship so are we saying when they actually don't really focus on writing directly about relationships they're better at it <laughs> like because you know when they focus on like relationships um neelix that's when we all just die inside yeah, yeah. Uh, well uh, yeah i think it also is that it's Writing about relationships is about writing long-term writing. And you can't... And Star Trek is incapable of doing that till DS9 and Voyager. Mm. And Voyager... And everything that makes writing Roman Lita or Dax and Worf or Cisco and Cassidy work, they can't replicate on Voyager because they don't have the same set of writers who aren't working for the same base of knowledge. Uh, yeah, I was just yeah. It stopped now, but it stopped, of course, I, I just literally like that's going to be really annoying when you try and edit it. No, it's fine. It's, 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 it's called um, we, so we call it ambience. Um, ambience. Yeah, <laughs> I call it fucking annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're. I mean, it's like if we go back to the original series, what you've got like. I mean, the, the one people, the sort of starting het, like heterosexual set situation in it is the Kirk Rand one, right? But the whole point of the Kirk Rand one is it's the Hornblower setup, which is that Kirk cannot have her and will not let himself have her. And will not let himself be hero, sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's this thing, it's that there's no, the point of Rand in TOS is that there's no situation in which Kirk that can be a relationship. The writing is already the writing has already decided that, and that makes it interesting, especially in in the Naked Time when it's done. That there really realistically, Rand is less the relationship with Rand is not really about Rand herself as much as the fact that all the things that Kirk cannot have because he is the captain. And yeah, then when you do they get that premise, you know, and it runs through like they do it with Picard, they do it with Janeway. Yeah. Um, you know, they get around it in DS9 by, you know, I think, I mean, DS9 is because it's a, you know, you're not on a ship traveling here, there, yeah. and everything. You're, on a, you're on a station, but, you know, they get around it by, you know, he dates outside of Starfleet. Wait, Penny, yeah. do you not ship Janeway and Chakotay as a Voyager stan? I love them, and, but I will say, I think it was a mistake for Prodigy to have her going after Chakotay, it should have been Tuvok. Because oh. Chakotay should already be her husband and he should just be being a little anthropolo anthropology professor somewhere, taking the dogs for a walk. Yeah, at she home with the off. kids. She yeah. goes off doing her adventures, admiral things, yeah. admiral things, and he's just like, you know, she's like, hi, honey, I'm home. And he's like, oh, I walk the dogs and here's some here's dinner. I made dinner already, a kuchimoya, you know. Remember that Jamie had a husband when the show started? Fiance. She had a fiance and dogs fiance. when the show started. Didn't she used to FaceTime. Yes. They, she, she called him one time and then she got stuck in the Delta Quadrant. And then he got he already remarried by the time they'd come back. Which to be ah. fair, 
It was four years. and she Four was years? Dead. That's not enough to get remarried. She was declared dead, Olivia. Meet someone. No. She should, he should, okay. So like a few Olivia, years. are you going to prescribe waiting. a bit of a blank to mourning? An, like an engagement kind of period is purity. two years, which means he didn't even mourn her. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. it's fine. Olivia, let's we, just, we, we got married within four years of, of meeting. Yeah, oh. that's a short <laughs> engagement he had. And that's, he was mourning yeah. his wife. I mean, he's a player. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, this is, you know, this is like the two of us are like, how long would you mourn me? How long would you wait? You're like, no, 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 we're not doing it. I mean, here's the important point, which is there is no timetable to any of this for anyone ever. So who are we to find? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, if it was me, 10 years, I would like a, a Queen Victoria style mourning period. So like you're wearing black every day. I mean, here's the point of it. Your partner could promise you that, but you're not going to know, are you? <laughs> I will know. You're not going to know. I will find a way. Are you saying well, you I gonna, can't overcome death itself, and... John? Because I'm not. Spo- Olivia, are you putting yourself as high as our Lord and Savior Shintagai Spock? I mean, I'm wondering if yes. you're going to just come back through a candle. Is that your plan, Olivia? You're just going to come back and if be a. That's ghost. what it takes. <laughs> you will be the candle ghost. I will become the candle ghost. Yeah, I have probably have less put less thought into it given I'm the older person in this relationship. So. And Penny never wears black anyway, so that's not going to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> I'd wear black for you if you want me to wear black. I'll wear black. <laughs> for a day, for an hour. I will, yeah. I will throw myself on the floor and, you know, cry for and wear black and Victorian style. I, I could go in, I could go in for that. I could, I could, I could make that a whole thing. so hard you almost <laughs> caused the collapse of the monarchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goals. Hashtag goals. But yeah, Chico- I was just going to say, Chakotay, just from what I've seen of him so far, seems like someone who is only capable of rising to um, house husband at best. I'm so sorry to him. I think they don't seem that, yeah, like... What you were saying, John, um, about Riker not having that much depth, and it's like, actually, there are a lot of similarities with Riker and Chakotay. It's just in that sense, like, Chakotay, they don't give him, you know, they, they give him some stuff early on, and then they just kind of, he's just there after, after like season three, he's just there. Well, it just settles, it's that thing with Voyager just settles into doing TNG, but with slightly different characters. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to do, they really struggle to do anything with the premise they have. It's a bit like when you write, start writing an essay and it's really exciting and interesting and you have to be the last time to work before the deadline. You just bought something out, it's like, you will do this, it's fine, it's fine. You know, I think, I think, so, I mean, obviously, like, one of the things people say about Voyager is, that, you know, Year of Hell should have been a whole, should have been a whole season, and they shouldn't have separated Janeway and Chakotay, and they should have had them have a relationship, and then the slate gets wiped clean, and you kind of, you know, they, at the end, they're sort of, you know, it's like, oh, we dodged a bullet there, and you're like, we're all like, but <laughs> That would have pissed me off, but it would have been more interesting. In it would have been more interesting. Sure. <laughs> you see, I mean, I still maintain that you either do Year of Hell as a season, and then wipe it. Or if you're doing it as a two-parter, you leave the effects of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's but one it, of the... I mean, actually, Voyager has a lot of really great two-parters in it. If you, you know, all those sort of, you know, especially like seasons seasons four and five, you get a lot of really good two-parters. Oh, shit. Uh, remember Seven's Borg Boyfriend? When is that? Oh, in Unimatrix. Unimatrix. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> and we're back <sighs> on topic. Exactly, Olivia. Exactly. Who was he? I'll just block out Chakotay and Sevens. Oh! Oh. Oh. I mean, the thing about Chakotay Seven is that there's the episode where it all kind of happens in Seven's mind, right? Mm. And I can live with that because Mm. this is basically Seven discovering what it means to be more human sexual human and romantic what i what would the interesting counterpart the counter that needed would basically be seven going to chakotay about chakotay being like no absolutely <laughs> not <laughs> for no. so many reasons yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I it's good that, that they wrote that out of picard in picard very quickly they were like yeah she did that well the, the heavy implication from what i've seen is that basically roger belcher went i really want to kiss jerry ryan for some reasons, and then they basically went, "If you let you kiss her, will you shut up?" Oh God! 
which is terrible. It's really terrible. Oh, Jerry Ryan does it better. Maybe Jerry Ryan does it. Better. I really hope she gets her own show after this. Mm-hmm. Who was that? That was if um, that Roger Beltram basically oh, right. wore the um, oh. producers down so we could get to kiss um, Jerry Ryan. And that once tracks. again, I feel oh, yeah. to apologise on behalf of all heterosexuals for this kind of behaviour. Yes. Yeah, and then, but yeah, it's just the fact that it's immediately dumped afterwards. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I think I also wasn't just like, please give me something to do. I'm so bored, which I get. Like I said, they, they, they gave him the interesting stuff with, you know, Seska and, and all of that. And they inched towards him in Janeway, and then they just kind of forgot about him. It's very boring. Well, it's, I mean, here's the point: is often writers often as somebody who writes, they often basically they don't know what to do. Mm. It's like we don't. Either you don't know what to do, or you've been told not. To, you just basically can't find anything you're allowed to do with them. Like I know the writers were explicitly told you're not allowed to make it. Like Berman and Braga explicitly vetoed. Jamie Chakotay. Oh, I thought it was Kate Mulgrew who didn't want it. I don't know who didn't want it, but it was explicitly vetoed to a certain extent. They were told not to touch it again. Yeah. Um, uh, I know. I want to know their motivations. I don't trust that. I think. I think very simply, Berman and Braga didn't think it was a good idea. It's not sustainable over the course of a show. Like, what happens yeah. if they break up? Actually, that would have been more interesting. They have a relationship and they break up. And they still have to be captain and first officer on the ship. That would have been interesting. Here's the thing, Penny. That would have been interesting and exciting, but it would also be very, very heavy on the writers who didn't, who didn't, weren't either paid enough or gave a shit enough to write yeah. that. I mean, they, yes, the, the, actually, it's an interesting premise, but the writing would have been god awful for it, wouldn't it? Let's be real. Yeah. I can't take seven seasons of Jealous Chakotay. Oh dear. <laughs> Yeah, it's just. I mean, they they gave they gave us they gave us Torres and Paris. We you know we've got to take it where we can get it. I guess I'm trying to think of who I actually liked as a hetero couple. What do you feel about uh, Book and um, Michael? Yeah, going into modern era. I mean, it feels like the relationships generally are better written. Book, the best bits of Book and Michael were the bits they basically kept hinting at and not doing. Like the chemistry they have when they're still in that sort of scavenger messenger phase. I mean, the point at the which they show them getting together, I'm like, are you really telling me they haven't banged before now? Because I don't believe you. But were they trying to say that? Because I did not accept I that, that at all. At the end of, end of season three, right? I was like, you know, they were building up this big sort of romantic moment. And I'm like, are we supposed to believe this is the first the, time? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sorry. There's, there's no way you put, in, you put me in a ship with David Ajala for a year. There's no way I'm not going to try and, and. And he has a cat. She you needed know, to heal cat, from like her ex, trash Tyler, for sure. She deserved it. I mean, there's also the, the semi-important point that if the entire romance had happened off screen, yeah. What the fuck are the writers there? Yeah, for? I know it's mm. a right. It's no, don't, don't don't diss my boy Shazad Latif, Olivia. Yes, but his, his character was, was so trash, Penny. Oh, oh. Just, he didn't want to let. He was like going to sacrifice her healing for the sake of his. So he said, "Oh yeah, that whole, that actually that whole situation was messed up." But the writers were being very clear that this is a messed up situation. Yeah, yeah actually, that's and the one with thing trauma, that he was so um, unhelpful. Yeah, that's actually something that is good about the. Burnamatic is that the writers are reasonably clear that it is inherently a bad idea. Yeah. Like, this is not how normal relationships function, people. Yeah, I think that's something early Discovery does a bit better than late Discovery is that when people, especially with the Burnamash Chalice, with sometimes relationships just don't work. Mm-hmm. It's better at writing the dysfunctionality, like even with Book and Burnham yeah. in season four, where their dysfunctionality just lasts too long. Yeah. It is a bit better at handling what that looks like in the sense that he's making terrible decisions, but isn't trying to defend those terrible decisions, but she still feels an inkling to defend him. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the, the sad one in Discovery for me is um, Adira and Grey. Yeah. Because it was just like, Grey was like, oh, I'm going to stay here. And Adira was like, cool, I'm off. And it's like, oh, really? Because we had, su- you know, there was such a, you know, they 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 wrote that, that storyline through for Grey and, you know, pulling them back together, the two of them back together. And then it just... Kind of is that what happens at the end of season four? Peaked out midway through season four. Let's be frank. Yeah. But the pro- sorry, basic problem is that Adira and Gray are this, were written as the same character, but they couldn't choose between the two actors. All right. So they just wrote in another character and glued that onto the edge of the season three plot. Yeah. And then they basically were like, "Oh, we've got slightly too many people for season." Four, so we need to kind of close that plot up and then get rid of the character. And also, we can't day. actually really afford to have the screen time for both of them to be fully developed. Mm. Yeah, you know. like season three is actually some really interesting character beats of the two of them, but it doesn't look that one of them is dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, what else are you going to do? If I am a bit this? like you know, the discovery is still sort of not quite getting a handle on the uh, maybe don't kill all your gays. It's you know? too late. They've killed like, them all now. They've killed they, the gays, but they did bring them back to life. Give them that. Yeah, I was wondering really if they brought um, if they brought um, Culver back because of the backlash. No, they did. You know, and they, that wasn't originally in the plan. I mean, I'm glad they did because Wilson Cruz mm-hmm. is fantastic, but, and, but it was like Oh, we have we have a gay couple. Here's a whole bunch of trauma and death for them. It's like really, really. At that point, it was almost acceptable, but then they did it again, and I was like, yeah. "You're taking the piss now." Yeah. Like, but were they really considering to remove Wilson Cruz just as a cast member? Because that seems insane. I think I mean considering considering how contrived season one is, I suspect that the deaths of Colbo is might it be a legacy for when it was one it was an anthology show mm. so we weren't going to see these characters again anyway yeah I also suspect that there was that thing where they they would they just they were by the time they were filming that they'd already gotten season two approved so I think they'd already probably started thinking about getting him back mm. I'll allow it yeah it was it was one of those like we're gonna have some. We're gonna have like landmark representation. I'm like, mm, you know. I was just trying to think as well in Strange New World who we've got, and of course they they're going into more detail around and um, complexity with Nurse Chapel and Spock. Yeah, and then we've got Spock and Tapring. Yeah. Which I mean, they've written that actually so well that I'm actually sad about knowing where that ends up. Because they've they've written it they've actually written it quite nicely and made to bring a a very interesting likable character. She's a bit racist. <laughs> That's That's it. Right, you're right. Sorry, you're right. arrogant. No, I mean, racist. I think you're right in the sense that they've written it to understand to make you get why Spock is willing to basically throw his career away to go home to get married. Mm-hmm. They've written it so it makes sense. Hmm. As long that's as they, good. as long as they don't have Pike and Number One get it, because I mean they, you know, the the two actors obviously have a great chemistry. I've kind of engineered a backstory in my mind that they fucked once in Academy days, and then after like the next day they were like, "Do we need to talk about this?" Nah, it's fine. And then they just carried on being friends, and that's it. So like, please don't like. I'm just like. Please don't go there. No, I don't think they are going there because you look at there are certain relationship seeds that have been planted in season one between like Spock and Chapel, and even between Lard and Kirk, Jim Kirk, not idiot brother Kirk, um, that have been planted, and they just haven't done that with Pike and Number One. Mm. You know, I think Pike there quite clearly keeping him on his man alone yeah yeah have even his, his yeah. fling he's got captain battelle but that's quite clearly really casual yeah yeah and then there's the woman he sleeps with from the planet where they keep where they kill the children 
Yeah. Um, Olivia <laughs> hasn't seen that episode yet. Whoops. <laughs> oh, she froze. It's fine. I didn't say it again. <laughs> Fine, it's fine, guys. She froze. Oh, no, she's, she's, she's quit. She's quit the podcast. <laughs> Live on air. I'm leaving that in because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, generally, I think more recent Trek has written relationships better. I mean, there haven't been that many. Oh, wait, what about um Saru and the. The, I mean, they're not Vulcans or Romulans now. They're all the same species. They're the they? Vulcans. Because they're, the, the, they're, they're still called, they still refer to the Vulcans and Romulans separately. Right. So. You know, yeah, yeah. The the Saru and the... Um, Vulcan, the Vulcan lady. Lady, uh, whose name I can't uh, can't remember, which makes me feel weird. It is um, so sweet. I love that. As, as an older... Yeah. People having a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Yeah, old, it's, um, old people can be horny too. Yeah. I think that works. It's also delicately handled and well paced out. They're not trying to force it in you in a 45 minute episode. I think that's the advantage of it is that modern Trek can do longer term relations like that because they're not trying to shove it in one episode in a way that, you know, I think the Cisco Cassidy Yates, the Tom and Bellana stuff works because they don't have to get you to make them fall in love in one episode. Yeah, it can, it can be drawn out and, and have the space. You know, having this, and that's the thing. I think all the that's that's that thing is it. All the best relationships in Trek are the ones where they actually have the the space because they're not like you said. They're not trying to do it in one episode. They can let the relationships breathe, and it's not the focus of the show at any. Do you know what I mean? Like I you mean, know, when I, you have those one-off episodes, it's like that story is the focus. I mean, that's in any ways a reflection of a good relationship in many ways as well, which is that it happens at a good pace it doesn't consume you yeah and you know you can yeah that's a nice wholesome ending um so uh do we Olivia do we want to make a high art pick for heterosexual relationships I don't know if just by their nature heterosexuals can aspire to that um I I I support their um, efforts but <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to play my veto card and say, Penny and Chris, do you have a high art heterosexual relationship episode you'd like to pitch to Olivia? Yes. Oh, and I will try not to be biased. High art instead of uh, it's gonna be Voyager. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up coming up blank here. I blank. I will pick one if you guys are coming up blank. Mm-hmm. God. My high art heterosexual relationship pick is um which one is it? It's the one, the lights of Zeta. Who? That's the one where Scotty has the like scientist girlfriend who gets inhabited by light monsters, and they wipe the memory alpha. It's a season three episode of TOS. TOS, you do this like every week. I, I do. That, that could be fifteen <laughs> episodes. I, I I love you, and I I put up with your shit. But <laughs> sure, I need to see what this looks like. Let me. I mean, I have just realised where we've got through the whole episode without talking about Julian Bashir's adventures in heterosexuality. <sighs> yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sorry, hey. I thought we couldn't, we couldn't let this pass. We have to talk about it. We got he like was a three victim minutes of the writer's room as well. They didn't know what to do. Ju- He's just, well, I like how shit they all are because Julian Bashir is a child. He's like 24. At that point, Julie Bashir is literally like 23 when he goes to DS9. Mm. So, of course, all his relationships are shit shows. Mm. Also, we, while we're here, are we going to talk about the fact that Julie Bashir is like 20 and Garrick's in his like late 40s, early 50s? Don't ruin this for me, John. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a very powerful dynamic there, isn't there? I didn't <laughs> know this. Okay, so you know what? We're, we're at very short on time. Gonna look up how old Garrick is. So, because Alexander Siddig is fifty-five now, and Andy Robinson's like eighty. Yeah. Okay. So uh, no, let's let's go by what are they in the show? What are they in the no, show? Garrick's age is never stated. <laughs> but he's been he's been in you know he's been around long enough to have been in the Obsidian Order. Got Imagine the Obsidian Order. Like, oh, got a lot of people killed. He is in his early, he's in his late 40s. 
Imagine in... uh, Julian and Garrick age gap couple to TikTok account. <laughs> yeah, Garrick is in his late forties. Bashir is in his mid twenties, I think, because he turned thirty. Because we did that episode, didn't we? Yeah, he is in his mid twenties. Yeah, mid late twenties. There's a twenty year age gap. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's That's basically. Like... And Andy Robinson says he played it. It's like I, I love this older, I old lizard I... guy saw this little twink guy and went, "I'm having some of that," and it's like, "Yep." He wanted that twinkle. It's not unrealistic. And he did. Yeah. I mean, it's what, you know, I I did actually ship Julian and Jadzia for a while, but you watch it back and it's like, God, he didn't deserve it. He's 27. Her age is incomprehensible and she is secretly an eldritch horror. Yeah. Um, And it's only fitting that we finished our episode of Heteroceptors by talking about gay people. Um, I think that's how, that is what Star Trek has become. do you, I don't think anyone got anything to plug? Donate to a donate to your newest homeless charity. Um, shout out Hercules. Hercules. Shout out Hildy. Trans rights are human rights. That's important. Her name. Um, her name. She's she respect for was it no dignity dignity for Brianna Jai. Oh yeah. Um, and. It, Apt that we did the relationship episode in the week that is the terrible time of Valentine's Day. Oh, uh, don't remind us, Chris. You can all know quick. You can all know quick. If you'd like to um, write us, write Chris hate mail, you can send it to <laughs> iQuitStarTrek at gmail.com or tweet your hate messages to us at QuitStarTrekPod on Twitter. Um, please leave us some nice reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I've not checked those in a while. Please do that. Um, Otherwise, thank you so much, guys, for joining us on unbelievably short notice. Um, you're the best. Uh, we I've love been, you. I've been John. I've been Olivia. And we're still hungover. And um, until next time, folks. Live long and prosper. Don't, don't have, don't, just don't, don't have sex. Just don't. <laughs> just don't. There we go. Good night, everyone. Are we? Pro-insults? Let me just pro-insults. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs>